Hi, I'm Caleb Matthews. And I'm Mary Huffnagel. And welcome to the What's My Therapist Reading Podcast. We read books so that you can decide what's right for you. Okay, and this month we are reading uh, The Midnight Library by Matt Haig, which I am already just going to say I loved, loved, loved this book. So good. I'm also excited about this book because this was our first fiction book that we've ever read as a book club. Yeah, we've been, uh, some book times books get nominated, but we decided that we're going to do a whole fiction book month. And so only fiction books were recommended and this is the one that won. And uh, it was the book that I nominated. So <laughs> we read it and loved it so much. So I got to reread this one and really, really loved it. Um, so as we did last time, uh, we're going to do another way to kind of give you a little bit of a summary of the book. Um, but this time, um, we're going to do it by using quotes. Um, so we're going to start off with a synopsis quote that just kind of summarizes the whole book. And then we're going to try to give you theme quotes where Mary and I each picked a quote that we think represents kind of like the theme of the book. Um, and then, but we actually haven't heard each other's quotes, so I'm really excited to hear what Mary picked. Um, I'm excited too. I, I know it's like near impossible, but I still have this question in my mind. Like, what if we picked the same one? Uh, I, <laughs> but there's so many good, there's so many good quotes that really speak to the heart of, of what this book is really about. So yeah, there was definitely a little bit of a meeting before we started recording where Mary and I like grieved the loss of the quotes we didn't pick because we're like, it's not going to be this one, but here it is. And we just read our quotes to each other. So that was amazing. Um, but here's that synopsis quote for you, and I'll, I'll read it to you now. Between life and death, there is a library. And within that library, the shelves go on forever. Every book provides a chance to try another life you could have lived, to see how things would be if you had made other choices. Would you have done anything different if you had the, if you had the chance to undo your regrets? Um, so yeah, that provides a pretty good synopsis of what happens in the Midnight Library. Do you wanna say the a little plot, bit? Yeah. yeah, the plot for sure. Um, no, that's just the, plot which I think uh, well what I can say is I think it's um interesting right now we kind of exist in a moment of time where um, multiverse plots are definitely trending and so if you yeah. happen to be someone who has been into the multiverse plots I think I think you'll like this I think you also might have a feeling of like oh another multiverse plot. <laughs> but this is so good and there's a lot of really deep nuggets yeah there's like a tv show what if russian doll dr uh -huh. strange in the multiverse of madness everything everywhere all at once like they're everywhere <laughs> they're everywhere um it's, it's interesting and we'll i'm sure we'll talk more about that but yeah there, it does touch on a lot of different themes too. So what we share is definitely just the surface of the nuggets of wisdom in this book. Yeah. So I guess to say just a little bit more about the plot, um, 
from my angle, Nora is the main character and she um, decides that she is going to um, end her life at the beginning of the book, um, which we'll get into in just a second around trigger warnings. Um, but she decides that she's gonna end her life and in between life and death, like in the quote, um, she gets to go to this midnight library where she gets to kind of explore alternative lives um, that she could have lived, um, which is just a really cool premise um, and speaks a lot to like mental health and we'll get into that in a minute. But before we do, um, let's go into our theme quotes. Do you wanna go first with your, your theme quote, Mary? Yeah, I'll go first, okay. okay. She no longer felt she was there simply to serve the dreams of other people. She no longer felt like she had to find soul fulfillment as some imaginary perfect daughter or sister or partner or wife or mother or employee or anything other than a human being orbiting her own purpose and answerable to herself. And it was different because she was alive and she had so nearly been dead and because that had been her choice because she had touched the vastness of life and within the vastness, she had seen the possibility, not only of what she could do, but also feel. There was more to her than a flat line of mild to moderate depression spiced up with an occasional flourish of despair. And that gave her hope. And even the sheer sentimental gratitude of being able to be here, knowing that she had the potential to enjoy watching radiant skies and mediocre comedies and be happy listening to music and conversation and the beat of her own heart. I love that. <laughs> That's such a good quote. Can you tell us a little bit why uh, you picked that? Um, honestly, this really, I think speaks to Something I know as a woman, for sure, that women experience quite constantly <laughs> in their lives, this trying to um, fit different versions of what people see or need, um, you get kind of put in boxes. And there are other parts where this theme comes up. And just that freedom. There's also other parts where the theme of freedom and what freedom actually is comes up. And, you know, I really like that, that freedom is um, orbiting your own purpose and answering to yourself. Yeah. It kind of gave me a, um, reminded me of another book uh, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Which oh, I, I love I Untamed. You, yeah, yeah. So shout out to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to switch over to my quote. So um, mine, my quote is, it is quite a it is quite a revelation to discover that the place you wanted to escape is it is the exact same place you escaped from that the prison wasn't the place, but the perspective. Um, I love this quote so, so much. Um, just the, the prison wasn't the place, but the perspective, because we get to see Nora try on all of these other different lives. And a, a lot of times 
she'll figure out like, oh, I still have depression or like I'm still taking depression medication in this life or um, I'm still disappointed by this piece of this life. And um, a lot of it has to do with the perspective that she holds, which her perspective, you get to see shift as the book continues. And I think that is done so incredibly well character development wise it was just uh so this was this was the quote that spoke to the theme of the book for me yeah i love that one too um and it reminds me of the one that i that i read to grieve its loss of not being chosen cuz <laughs> cuz that that quote talked about um how life no life is like fully fully happy like there's good and bad parts of life like paths are just paths that you choose yeah um, there's not necessarily a good path or a right path or it's just which path am I going to choose and how is it going to unfold um, because every path has both good and bad yeah that really connects to the idea of prison being perspective not um, she doesn't say circumstance, but that's the only word that's coming to my mind. Yeah. Well, and what she say? that that perspective, I think, is something that is really important in the book. They actually quote uh, Thoreau quite a bit in this book, but one of the quotes that keeps coming up is, um, "It's not what you look at; it's what you see." Yeah. Um, and they say that one several times, which I think is just a variation of. Mm -hmm this prison quote that we're talking about right now I love I loved the Thoreau throughout I also yeah. love Mary David Thoreau and I part of wanting to become an English teacher was wanting to teach Thoreau so even though I was never oh. a high school, even though I was never a high school English teacher that was my original goal I wanted to teach junior English so I could teach Thoreau and Emerson Wow, I didn't know that. Man, <laughs> that, you must have, I think, really liked this book then. Yeah, because this one- I did. <laughs> there are so many quotes throughout this book about perspective too. One of my favorite quotes that came at like a really random time because it's like this person that's like super shallow in the book, Ryan mm -hmm. Bailey, he's like an actor. Um, and so I like didn't expect to have any depth with this character. But then he throws out, um, there's no rejection, only redirection. And that was another quote that I almost picked for this one, but they're all, all of, I'm noticing that all of the quotes that I wanted to pick were related to how it's about holding a perspective. Um, that's what's more important. So I secretly snuck in a few extra quotes is what I'm <laughs> But technically only one, right? No. Okay. You understood the assignment. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, they're all perspective related. I only cheated a little bit. And is it cheating? This is our podcast. We make the rules. Yeah, no, it's not cheating. We, okay. We're just here to talk about these books. Yeah. Um, yeah, so trigger warning, obviously this book is about suicide um, and depression. And so depending on where you are, it might be really helpful to read or really hard to read yeah i um 
if you're a person who has experienced suicidal thoughts before, um, I would definitely maybe check in with yourself before picking up this book, um, because it is hard at the beginning, because she does see kind of um, no way out in her life in the beginning. Um, and there's really good metaphor about like despair being like a closed door in the Open book despair. that I loved. Yeah. That's one of the quotes that I eliminated. Oh my gosh, so many good ones. Um, good but, one, but yeah. yeah. And, and I think, go on. I think that like it can help make sense of despair and open up room for hope. But also just depending on where you are in the moment emotionally, like sometimes we're just not set up to be able to go into that place. We just need to stay right for a minute where we are and be with that feeling. So I like your suggestion of making sure you check in with yourself. And if you notice something is becoming too emotional or flooding, then like put it down, take a break. Well, and that's one of the things that um, I wonder about too, is like, if you did put it down at some point early on in the book, it's going to be a hard thing to put down because this book does eventually get hopeful. But if you stop reading around like 10% of the book, that's a hard place to stop reading. But I mean, it's the same thing with like, um, this book parallels uh, one of my favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life. But I mean, if you're on the bridge with George Bailey, right before he jumps in the river, like, and then you stop, pause the movie there, like, that's a hard part to pause. Like, just and keep going. Same, well, <laughs> that's not always, you can't always keep going. Sometimes yeah. that's where you get too much wherever you hit too much, I think is okay to honor, but, um, yeah. Yeah. I, that's fair. Well, sometimes it's too much to keep going. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. We just have to, and I think, you know, that's kind of what this is about is sort of discovering self. And so, yeah, but maybe uh, it's I like our first book and that you maybe knowing that it's going to get hopeful at some point helps Lee will be helpful. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, no, it's headed in that direction. Keep going. Another thing I feel like is, <clears throat> or stop if you need to. I feel like this book really, I don't know are the right words. I guess I'm just going to say, like, reduces some of the stigma around suicide. Like, it makes sense of what is happening for a person, what kind of experience they're having emotionally um and the way that it's presented I think um I think everyone could relate to parts of it even if they have never had a direct thought that is um suicidal ideation like I think for people who have always been confused about why someone would ever even consider it. I think reading this will help you kind of understand that and you'll see yourself in there. You'll be like, oh, I mean, I feel that way too. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it does a really good job of that, which I appreciate. Yeah, I agree. I think this book is extremely relatable and just it's, um, I think a lot of people enjoy thinking about the, the what ifs. Um, and so that's, this book speaks to that really well. What other general vibes did you have about this book? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Nothing's coming up to my mind right away. Um, yeah. 
I mean, I think it's kind of, uh, I think a genuine, um, I, I, I think this book um, does a really good job of dealing with thoughts around um, suicidal thoughts and specifically, I mean, that's not the whole premise of the book, but um, I think that it does a good job of just exploring different pieces of that. Um, and in a way that adds a fantasy element because you get to see um, what they call them in the book is like sliders. So people who can shift between all of these different parallel lives, uh, he calls them sliders throughout the book. And um, you just get to see what all of that could mean. Like if you get to be a, a fantastic Olympic athlete or a... Um, professor or a like rock star there's so many different lives that you could have lived and what I really enjoyed about this book um, as a general vibe is um, there's a a Sylvia Plath quote um, about the fig tree um, which I highly recommend looking up but in that quote it's very sad because um, in the book, in the Sylvia Plath quote, she talks about how if you don't choose a certain life that it's a fig tree and like, so the fig um, will fall off the tree and like wrinkle and die. And basically like, you don't get that life because you didn't choose that life. Um, so you have to make choices. And so like, that's kind of Sylvia Plath's take on it. But I feel like Matt Haig is a lot more hopeful and that like he expresses that every branch that you could have taken is still you. So you're the tree, not the fig that you didn't choose. You're the tree. So like the fact that you could have been a rock star, even though you didn't pick it, is still part of your story, which I really liked because it's like, oh, wow, like you get to say that you're the potential of all that you could be. And that's not just true whenever you're a little kid and like you're still dreaming, like that's true of your whole life, which I think is really just a very hopeful message because I think people reach certain parts of their lives where they're like, oh, well, I'm too old to have done that or like this dream's not gonna get lived. And it's like, no, you can still try to do that. And even if you didn't, like maybe there's somewhere out there that you did. Anyways. Yeah, it's that, granted, she's exploring these different lives um, <clears throat> in this magical way, but we can do that in a real way all the time. We can always set something down and pick something else up. That is always an option available to us. It's not always easy. It's, there's, sometimes there's lots of obstacles, you know what I mean? But that's always a choice that we have. And so I like kind of freeing up that idea that we have the freedom to move in between different paths, especially if we get down at one path and it's not working for us, we can shift to another path. Yeah. There's another um, thing that I want to ask you about, Mary, because um, there is lots of therapy metaphors. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely want to go down that road with you. So can you tell us what yeah, I really, you saw to EMDR? <laughs> I'm really glad you asked because I also was thinking earlier when you mentioned uh, the Ryan Bailey character and his little nugget of wisdom, like this really 
is like such a cognitive interweave, which is an EMDR terminology um, for these pieces that as we go through the reprocessing steps in EMDR, and sometimes even in the resourcing steps in EMDR, we're building these, um, I'm trying to think of a, a more general word than like interweave. It's like they're, they're just little like- Nuggets um, of wisdom. They're like checkpoint, but I think of it as like the intersection where like I'm headed down this path and maybe it's not like a full hard left or hard right, but when a road kind of branches a little off um, and you kind of veer right or left, like you're kind of headed in the same direction, but with a different lens and perspective on it. And so, yeah, it's something I think to hold, at least how I think of cognitive interweaves is there something to hold while you're maybe playing a memory that you're having. And so it's like, if you're holding, there's no rejection, only redirection, that's gonna maybe change some of the way that you see a memory. And that's like what a cognitive interweave is for me. Right, so I guess that's what I mean when I'm saying it's mirroring like shifting the way you see it. Yeah. It helps you move toward so just for people listening who may not know anything about EMDR, a little, a little basic, um, very concrete <laughs> um, description of a reprocessing phase is when you are reprocessing a, an older memory, a trauma memory, a version of your life, perhaps. Uh, when you're reprocessing that, you start with the negative beliefs that are keeping you stuck in whatever... Um, pattern that you're in and you identify the negative belief and you also identify the, the, the positive belief and I, more and more I don't even just use the terminology negative belief I'll call them limiting beliefs because they're not always straight up an obvious negative like a no or a never but it's like oh that's clearly holding your you back um and so yeah I think so that's what we're talking about is making that shift. The cognitive interviews help you move from that, that negative belief to releasing it and living in the positive belief. Um, Which if you're lots. looking for some more cognitive interweaves, um, just as an aside, Matt Haig um, is a real proponent for mental health and does a great job with that. Um, he actually wrote another book called The Comfort Book that's like a bunch of like quotes or short stories or things that he just has picked up throughout his lifetime. And it's incredibly um, comforting and just filled with cognitive interweaves. So um, little pieces okay. of information. So if you want a book about that strictly focuses on that, The Comfort Book by Matt Haig. Interesting. Did you invite him to our group? Sometimes we invite the authors. Well, we always invite the authors, but sometimes they come. Yeah, I actually, normally I do invite him and I wasn't able to figure out how to, how to do that. And so um, I, I tagged him in some posts and sometimes that's a way that we communicate with the authors, but I, I didn't hear from him whenever we tagged him. So Matt Haig, if you ever want to speak to us, if, or if you're listening to this podcast, please reach out. Um, and no, I'd love to talk about mental health. Talk, and yeah. What, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's love... lots of PR parallels. Yeah, did you want to say more about those two? 
Sure. Like there is a place in here um, where she talks about, um, or not saw her. I think it's the, one of the other characters, Hugo, who describes describes this process of sliding as like you are the tree and you have a root life and that's life you came here and then the branches are the lives that you're sliding to did i get that right did yeah you, that's you, right okay. so um <clears throat> you know that just immediately because that's what trauma networks look like like if i were going to draw a map of trauma networks it would feel very similar yeah, this core you that's always experiencing everything but there's parts of you that branch off and experience things a little differently and it is almost like those parts of self that are stuck in this trauma network are kind of stuck in their own life timeline that's not always exactly the same timeline as your most integrated present self who's experiencing all of it is in. yeah well, and even the idea of, so one of the ways that EMDR helps is you go to that um, network, like Mary was just saying, and then- We could say a branch. Yeah, a, a branch, exactly. So you go to that yep. branch and then you're there with a therapist and you kind of like, after you've experienced part of that branch, you talk about it maybe for a second with a safe person. Um, in therapy that's going to be a therapist in this book um there's a character that actually exists in whoever's midnight library for hugo that looks like a video store for nora it looks like a library and in nora's library there is a librarian mrs elm who she talks to and she gets to like process like what was it like for you to be in that memory what was it like for you to be in that life and that's super you learn yeah, what did you learn? What did you notice? Yeah, which is literally words that are said <laughs> in the So I wonder if Matt Haig has experienced EMDR therapy and is just like, let me write a fiction book where it's kind of like this. But yeah, it's very similar. It's also very similar to like solution focus techniques because um, in solution focus therapy, there's this idea of like a miracle question is one of the techniques that they use where you like ask yourself, if you were to wake up tomorrow and all of your problems were solved, what would that be like? Um, and like Nora really does get to do that, which is super cool because I, what I loved about the book is she's always 35. Like she doesn't, and she doesn't get to keep all of the memories of like oh, just because now you did get to be an Olympic swimmer, like she doesn't get to remember all that. She just steps in at 35 and well, wakes up. Well, and even her body is different. Like when she comes into each life, like like some lives, her body is like an Olympic athlete. Like it can do all kinds of things and it's healthy. Other times it has illness or ailment and she is in pain or struggling um, just because of whatever is going on in that life. Yeah, which is so cool and just... I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that because it makes it makes it a little bit more real, which is the point of the miracle question according to solution focus, is it's trying to like draw you into um the fact that like this is what your life would look like. Like it would you'd still have to put on pants that day, like you'd still take a shower, you'd still like mm -hmm. potentially have that drive to work or whatever. Um, but there are parts of your life that are still going to be the same, even if all of your problems were solved. Yeah. Yeah. 
any other theories or therapy that you think we should touch on? There was something that I thought I had, but I lost it, so it's okay. The only other one that's sticking out to me maybe is like attachment theory, um, which felt a little weird. There's a point in the book where she has a daughter and um, I don't know if her daughter would have reacted the way that she reacted. We actually had a book club member who brought up like, I don't know. The daughter would be scared because <laughs> it doesn't feel like- so. I imagined it in my mind is very warm and playful and kids like to know, yeah. to feel confident and know things. And I literally actually at breakfast the other day was with a friend and her niece who's three. And um, that's what we were doing with the niece. <laughs> Honestly, we're like, oh, how old are you? Mm, where do you live? Like, what do you, you know? And she just likes to say all the things she Answering knows. So I, yeah, I think it is a very, uh, I think that if that were a scene in a movie, for example, I think depending on directing choices and acting choices, that could show up in a million different ways. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that it, it is such like a wholesome moment that I agree with you. It's um, it's very well written, and it's just a it's a scene where Nora's and playing the a child's game. Laughing and what was that? I said and the child's laughing and. Yeah. you know, like, oh, you're so silly, mom. Like, I don't know. Yeah, she's playing a game with her prospective daughter where she wants to know all the information about her life and the way that she tries to glean that information in this specific part of the book is she's like, I'm going to ask you questions and you give me your best answer. And so she's like, who am I married to? <laughs> like, or like, yeah, like I don't think she asked that one. What's daddy's name? She's like, yeah, daddy, Oh, but what's his real name? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's very sweet. Okay. And I also want to take a second to shout out um, if you're an audiobook listener, I did this book on audiobook and it's read by um, Carrie Mulligan, who um, was in the movie Promising Young Woman and has done a lot of movies. Highly recommend looking up Carrie Mulligan, but she is spectacular as an audiobook narrator for this book. Um, 10 out of 10, highly recommend. Right. Yeah. I did think of my thought that I lost earlier. It was another EMDR thought, which one of the things I really like um, to, which is why I like the quote that I chose so much is this idea of belonging to self. And in my own experience in EMDR therapy as a client, like that's what I, have learned is how to belong to myself and how to connect to myself and my experiences and my body. And I think she learns that too. And how to orient my life toward in, in a perspective that is through my eyes instead of orient my life and my choices and my paths to everybody else's eyes and expectations. Like with the swimming and her father is the one who really wanted her to do the swimming um and she when she was young yeah well that's one of, yeah well that's one of the things that was super powerful to me um so another theme in the book is this idea of like there's this book of regrets that Nora gets to have and it's like literally a book that she can hold and flip through that's actually incredibly heavy and it lists out all of her regrets 
And one of the things that I, I'm hearing you talk about, Mary, is like, she starts to realize that some of these regrets she's holding for other people. Like yeah. it was her dad's yeah. regret that she didn't exactly. become a professional swimmer. It was her like brother's regret that she didn't become a rock star. It was her like, and she just goes through point by point and she starts to recognize that like, oh, these regrets aren't for me. They're what other people wanted of me, which is like, uh, such a good insight in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just am so. Yeah, and sometimes, yeah, and sometimes when she makes the choice that would make that other person happy, their life, the person she she wanted to ease pain for or make happy, their life is painful or tragic or otherwise. And so that's another lesson that I feel like she learns is like, I can't, yeah, I can't live my life for other people because it won't work anyway. Yeah. Or not live it just for them um, was something that we talked about in, in, in the book club around this is because that gets complicated because it's like, oh, well, you're a parent, so you have to consider other people. But like, you also yeah, need to model that you're, yeah, like, yeah, that's a complicated issue. Um, well, I just think there's no, like, a, making choices for yourself versus making choices for someone else's life is, is different than considering someone else. Yeah. Um, well said. Those are very, there's, there's, and there's a lot of space <laughs> between like between deciding to live for myself and being at the point where like, I don't consider anyone ever like that's a long distance. So. Yeah. Yeah. And most of us, I think are, you know, conditioned to be more, um, I don't know, it's weird. I feel like we talk like we're so individualist, but I don't think we're making those individual decisions for self often. Like, yeah. So I know, it's confusing. Before we go too far away from the idea of the book of regrets to one of the other really cool things that gets to happen in the book is as Nora looks at the book of regrets and is going through and seeing all of these different lives, the regrets start to disappear from the book of regrets. And there's just more white space on the page in the book of regrets book. And I just love that metaphor for like the regrets are disappearing because you're getting to follow them to their natural conclusion. And that's, uh, Therapy. Love it. Yeah, I'm trying to find the one-liner I have marked <clears throat> about regret, like where she's starting to see her regrets aren't really regrets anymore, but I can't find it. Yeah. The um, other thing that I loved talking about with the book club um, this month was, um, so in the Midnight Library, you have Mrs. Elm, who is kind of like a mentor or someone who showed her kindness at a difficult point in her life. Um, and so we, as a group of therapists, went through and asked, who would your Mrs. Elm be? And um, I loved getting to hear people's answers and just wanted to shout out that to other people because uh, most people's answers, I mean, we had people that said, um, 
mentors or um, lots of different answers around this, counselors. Um, but the most common answer was actually teachers. Um, and I just wanted to take a second to say, um, teachers have had a rough job for a long time, but especially in the past few years. And so you're making huge differences. If you're a teacher listening to this podcast, um, please know that you're, you're an important part. Um, but yeah, I loved getting to ask that question of who would your Mrs. Elm be? Yeah. yeah I don't know about you also, but I hear about teachers a lot in my office from clients. Yeah. They're meaningful. They have, I don't know, they, they have such a huge impact um, just being the adult that's in your life and modeling. Uh, there's just, teachers have such a unique and wonderful job and I'll never not be impressed by them. So I will always be impressed by them. How about I don't do a double negative according to Miss Arda, <laughs> fifth grade. Boom. Um, okay, well, let's maybe shift over into some benefits and drawbacks of this book. Any that are sticking out to you, Mary? Um, I think we've talked a lot about this already some too, like it, you know, it is very hopeful. It can make sense of complex emotions. It can, can help you understand um, suicidal ideation if you're a person that really just doesn't. And I don't know, maybe you even have someone in your life who is struggling with depression or suicidal ideation and you're struggling to understand them. I think, I think this can give you a little bit of insight. Um, yeah. I think um, I don't know. The drawbacks is that it might be triggering, depending on yeah the reader. Um, and yeah, like I said earlier, I think a drawback too is if you are kind of burnt out on the multiverse themes, then you might be like, "Yay, another multiverse <laughs> book!" Since there yeah. are so many, but. Um, there are so many right now one drawback that I brought um, that no one else seemed to even notice as a drawback um, was so at one point in the book um, Nora goes to and I actually don't know if this is a drawback because um, you'll see here in just a second but um, uh, Nora in the book finally finds a life that feels right and she spends the most time in and in that life it is the life where she's a mom um, and I was like does that hit weird for women because this is a male author and I'm a male reader um, and so I wondered if it hit weird to be like this is a man saying that the woman that like the life that she likes the best is a life where she's a mom. And like one of our book club members slammed me down immediately with the best thing. And she was like, yeah, but in that life, she's also a professor of philosophy, which is what she's wanted to do throughout the whole book. And I was like, oh, you right. Like that's true. <laughs> but yeah, the, I was wondering if that hit weird for any of the book club members and not really, but 
maybe not. He does a fairly good. He does a fairly good job writing women. Um, really, by and large, male authors honestly don't do a very good job writing women. Yeah, um, they're rather one-dimensional, and you know, just as a general trend, you know, male authors don't necessarily understand the complexity of being a woman. He does a pretty good job. I think of, he does too. Yeah, I, there certainly were moments where I'm like, yeah, it's definitely not like a woman writing a woman, but you know, overall. I was actually nervous about just that. I was like, oh, great. I'm going to read a book with a female main character written by a man that's about like a female's experience of mental health struggle, even like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about this. And, and yeah. certainly he did a pretty good job. And um, I will never say he like just nailed it. I don't really think it's possible if you don't have the lived experience of a woman to really nail it, unless you are definitely sitting down and being quiet and really listening to lots of women. <laughs> then you might, but yeah, um, he he does a pretty good job, and I think you know there was a quote from that section though where she talks about and I marked it because sometimes well she talks about kind of losing herself in that in that life too yeah um and I think you know and ultimately when she wanted to stay in it but didn't and came back to the library I think that's part of what kept her from saying it was that she was losing herself in that life. Um, yeah. I think that's an experience that I was really impressed by. It. I was like, wow, you, that's one of those moments where I was like, okay, you can write some female characters. You understand a lot of what they are experiencing. So he does a pretty good job. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you're saying that. Cause I don't feel like I really have the qualifications to speak to <laughs> the thing that I brought up even, but I, that's one of the things that I was wondering, because our book club is mostly women, and so I was like, ooh, man, I recommended this book. It's written by a man about a woman's mental health experience, and I thought it was good, but was it? <laughs> so, Caleb, was, uh, Caleb, I love that you ask those questions and wonder those things, like. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, and it's clear that, you know, Matt asks those questions and wonders those things. That's what makes him able to write women better than yep. some other authors. Most male authors. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's, let's shift into the end, which I just want to say, so at the end of our uh, podcast, we usually talk about who's this book recommended for? And who's the intended audience? And so I want to make it clear for y'all because I've been a little bit on the struggle bus around what the difference between those two is. So who's this book recommended for is who Mary and I think would enjoy this book. Whereas who is the intended audience is who we think the author, so Matt Haig, wrote this for. So just to clarify that one a little bit. Um, so who is this book recommended for? Um, 
You know, I will say this age-wise, I would recommend it for a wide age range. One of my teen clients saw this book sitting on my table when they came in and were like, I love that book. So I know that teens enjoy it. So I think yeah. it definitely can be recommended for them. Um, yeah. I think people who enjoy fantasy. Yeah. For sure. I don't particularly enjoy reading fantasy but I enjoyed this book so it is also for people who don't necessarily enjoy reading fantasy even though it is a fantasy book it's not yeah you know full of complex languages and new words and new lands and realms you have to learn about yeah that's what gets hard for me I get real stressed out so that's why I don't <laughs> like fantasy but this is a really good um, book that falls in the fantasy genre. I think it's pretty palatable for like a lot of people. What do you think? Yeah, I completely agree. Incredibly palatable. I would, the only person that I would say is not recommended for is if you're having like active suicidal thoughts, maybe just be cautious with this book. Not even don't read this book. Cause I think that yeah. that potentially I think it could be helpful. something that be... could be helpful for you, but maybe not if it's active suicidal thoughts. Um, if it's active right right now, please call the suicide hotline or the crisis hotline, which um, yes. I think might have been a good thing to put in this book too. I don't know if publishers do that, but they started doing it on TV shows, and I think that that's a a nice. Oh, yeah, that would have been a great thing to put just right at the very beginning of the book. Yeah, just something that's like a to have it, have it in there. Yeah, um, but yeah, I would say anybody. Um, especially anybody that has ever wondered the concept of like what if which I think is almost everyone um so if you've ever wondered I mean, everyone has something they feel like they regret yeah I think this definitely give anyone with regrets a different perspective on that and anyone who's kind of afraid to sit with some despair there's a really great quote and I couldn't find it but it also made me think a lot of EMDR because it talks about like, you have to go th through the despair, through the darkest part, through the hardest feelings. Yeah. And it is on the other side of those feelings that you start to rebuild and reconstruct. And that is, I mean, I talk about that tunnel metaphor and EMDR processing, reprocessing a lot, like it's gonna get dark in the middle. <laughs> They're just thoughts, they're just feelings. We need to notice them and see them. And then on the other side, we're gonna move out of the tunnel. Yeah. My favorite quote around despair for this book was, um, fear was when you wandered into a cellar and worried yeah. that the door would close shut. Despair was when the door closed and locked behind you, which I kind of mentioned a little earlier, but wanted to make sure that I gave y'all the full quote. So there you go, yeah. What about the intended audience? I don't really know who his intended audience is. I, I, do you have I would assume I know who he's right for. Yeah, I mean, I would assume anybody that's um, a reader, because I mean, like this book's been on bestseller lists and like Good Morning America. Yeah, tons I'm of sure stuff. he has a target demographic though. I'm not really sure who his target demographic is. Yeah, maybe like people who are wanting to improve mental health or mental wellness. Um, but yeah, I think he writes this book so well that anybody 
could could take something out of it. You can, you, it, and that's one of his actual things that he talks about in the book is like, um, Nora realizes that she can be honest because she, uh, people are gonna take away what they need to. And so no matter what you say, people glean from it, whatever they need to take. And yeah, yeah. I think maybe, so maybe that's Matt's secret answer to who's the intended audience. Everyone take with it what you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you uh, so much for joining us. Um, we talked a little bit longer today, so hopefully you enjoyed everything about uh, our conversation and therapy and the minute. Do we know? Do we know yet our book for next month? Can we give people a little like teaser yeah. or do we not yet? So um, it is heavily leaning in one direction towards a book called Love's Executioner. So the way that we do this for What's My Therapist Reading is people who are members of the book club all get to vote. And so um, the vote uh, is usually within the first, like it takes place over 48 hours. Um, and so we're about 36 hours in, I would say, at the time of this podcast and Love's Executioner is um, a few votes ahead, um, which is a book that we've been wanting to read or I've been wanting to read <laughs> since month one of this book club. So like four years now almost of, <laughs> of reading and finally this book might win. So I haven't read it before. So hopefully it's good, but it's been sitting on my shelf for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, so teaser for that. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining us today. And uh, we'll see you guys uh, next month. If you want to um, follow us, uh, you can do so uh, on Goodreads or Instagram. Um, and those are going to be in the notes again, like we did last uh, in our first episode. Okay, bye. Bye.